In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. In the history of the American Revolution, two figures stand in stark contrast to each other, George Washington and Benedict Arnold. In the American imagination, Washington is elevated as an example of sterling character, while Arnold is ostracized to the seventh layer of Dante's hell. But what few Americans know is that at the start of the War of Independence, Washington was actually a blundering general, while Arnold was one of the colony's very best. So how is it that Washington transformed himself into one of America's greatest leaders while Arnold ended up betraying his countrymen? Well, that's what my guest today explores in his book, Valiant Ambition, George Washington, Benedict Arnold, and the Fate of the American Revolution. His name is Nathaniel Philbrick, and today on the show, we discuss the evolution of Washington as a general and a statesman, Benedict Arnold's amazing but often forgotten battlefield exploits for the American cause, and how Arnold's valiant ambition turned into a vain and treacherous appetite that led to his downfall. And along the way, Nathaniel and I just talk about the life lessons we can take from these two eminent revolutionaries. Really great podcast. After the show's over, make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash ambition uh, for links to resources um, that we discuss in the show so you can delve deeper into this topic. Nathaniel Philbrick, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. Uh, so your latest book, you've written a lot of great historical books. Uh, your latest one is called Valiant Ambition, where you follow the military careers of two of the Revolutionary War's most well-known names, George Washington and Benedict Arnold. Um, I'm curious, why did what inspired you to dig into the history of how these men developed into the men that we know of today, how Washington turned into the great general that we know as today, and how Arnold turned into America's most infamous traitor. Yeah, well, there's really kind of two sources to that. Uh, my previous book was called Bunker Hill, uh, which describes, as the title might suggest, the, the outbreak of the revolution in the Boston area. And the book uh, sort of ends with the arrival of George Washington, who takes over the, what will become the Continental Army during the siege of Boston. And, uh, and it was with the conclusion of that book that I realized I need to follow George Washington. You, this is not the, the Washington that peers at us from the, the dollar bill, you know, sort of the staid pragmatist that looks like the rock upon which this country has been founded. Washington at the beginning of the revolution was in his early 40s, red-haired, fiery, uh, and by natural temperament, very aggressive. He wanted to attack the British uh, that were holed up in Boston, even if this meant uh, burning the city to the ground. He just wanted to end it all in one very risky stroke. And uh, he would repeatedly bring this proposal to his council of war, and every time uh, the generals would turn it down as as basically madness. And and you know this was a Washington. I, I you know I had not grown up with, and so I I knew I wanted to follow him. And so the the question for me was 
to to who to pair him up with, uh, because I also knew that the middle years of the revolution uh, were very different from, I think, what most of us assume the revolution to be, you know, sort of this each battle stepping stone to God-ordained victory. Uh, instead, the, the sort of the gas came out of the revolution, and it became this stalemate in which um, Americans showed much more interest in fighting themselves uh, than the British. And I thought, how do you get at this dark underbelly? Well, my mother, uh, when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, was a huge fan of Benedict Arnold. And uh, my mom was kind of a renegade herself. Uh, and uh, she she always said that Arnold had gotten a bum rap, uh, that there were reasons why he did this, and, and that, you know, uh, your teacher should teach you this. And I'd always say, Mom, Arnold personifies evil. What What are you talking about? Well, uh, I am here before you today to say that Mom was right. Um, I, I realized that, uh, you know, I had had this exposure to, to Arnold as a kid, and I, I realized that's the guy to go with. That's the guy to pair with Washington. Uh, to and and what I do in Valiant Ambition is is follow for four years uh, uh, Arnold at his highest because he was what our best battlefield general uh, in the beginning, but oh, but he would have his reasons to become increasingly embittered uh, with the American cause and ultimately four years later uh, he would decide to to turn traitor and so I wanted to follow those two di- very different characters uh, along very different paths. Yeah, that's what I mean. It really. Uh... Uh, you know, opened my eyes to some kind of assumptions that I had. I mean, you even start the book, you know, it was going back to Washington. You talk about how, I think one of the secretaries of the Continental Congress, he had these, like yeah. a journal, um, and where he talked about like, you know, sort of the, the, the foibles of Washington. Um, and he thought about publishing them, but at that time, you know, Washington had already been, you know, he's the, the apotheosis of Washington had already happened, and we had this myth, and he just like, no, I can't undo this myth. It's good for the country, so he didn't publish it. Um, so you said, yeah, Washington at the very beginning of the war lacked a bit of military acumen, he didn't have that sort of pragmatic approach that he had. So, you know, are there any specific examples where you talk about in the book the four years you discuss where Washington, sh- you know, showed a lack of military acumen that actually hurt the revolutionary cause? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, from uh, really where the the book begins, which is just after uh, the siege of Boston, uh, the British uh, now have turned their sights on New York, and Washington is dug into New York in the high ground in Brooklyn uh, on Long Island, and the the British have thrown a huge force at, at America, 30, uh, uh, 400 vessels, 34,000 sailors and, and soldiers. This is the largest invasionary force Britain will mount until World War One. I. I mean, it's just a huge, huge uh, army that uh, Washington has to deal with. And he had no uh, experience leading a large army in battle. No one in the American army had had that kind of experience. And as I said before, he was by temperament aggressive. And even though his, his army was completely overmatched by the British, he was determined to fight. And, um, and so he puts his army in a very risky position uh, in Long Island, and he's completely outgeneraled by uh, his British counterpart, uh, General Howe, in a flanking maneuver. That uh, and Howe had the opportunity to completely destroy Washington's army, uh, uh, but for the Howe, the Howe brothers, because his older brother was the admiral that was in charge of the British fleet, were hopeful that they could 
humiliate the American army to the point that they were forced to negotiate a peace. They really felt that by destroying the American army, they would hopelessly embitter the American people and ultimately make uh, reconciliation impossible. And so you could argue that if not for Howe, Washington would have probably lost his army uh, right there at the Battle of Long Island. Uh, Howe gave him the opportunity to escape at night in a brilliant retreat across the East River. And um, eventually, um, you know, but and yet he persisted in hanging out in, in New York and trying to defend that. Ultimately, he would be forced to retreat. Uh, he would have that great comeback uh, at Trenton and Princeton. But the following year, uh, when he was defending Philadelphia from uh, Howe's uh, army that was now marching uh, towards Philadelphia, which is the seat of the Continental Congress, once again, Washington at the battles of Brandywine and Germantown surrenders to his naturally aggressive side and uh, and as a consequence, puts his army in, in very dangerous positions and suffers reversals that ultimately allow the, the British to take uh, to take uh, Philadelphia. And it's only after this, uh, in the winter of 1777-78, while he's holed up at Valley Forge, that Washington begins to realize, okay, I, I really need to commit to a different kind of strategy. Uh, you know, I want to fight, but... Uh, this is not the best thing for my country, given the state of the army. I need to fight a, a defensive war, a, a war of attrition, what he calls a war of posts. And it's not what he wants to do. It's uh, it's it's not the way he's wired, but it's the way he will then proceed for the, the for the next years of the rev, the war of independence. And it's kind of extraordinary. And there are very few leaders who can go against the the very essence of who they are because they know it's the right thing to do. And Washington was one of those unusual people. And that's the moment when he turned into the pragmatic George Washington yeah. that we know today. And, and right. Only, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, you know, his, he, he had his weaknesses as a military commander, but he was an absolute genius as a politician. And, um, and so what happens is as the war devolves into a stalemate, uh, where, you know, each battle really doesn't do much to move 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 anything in any direction. Uh, it's Washington's ability to deal with politicians, with officers who are infighting. Um, it's you know it's it's his political skills that really rise to the fore, and it's 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 kind of, it's it's and he emerges as that one person capable of holding all of this together. Yeah, there's great examples of that political skill in action where I think Washington intercepted a note um, where one of the generals was bad-mouthing him um, and he saw it and then he he passed it along to the guy that was supposed to get it and he left a note, kind of sort of passive-aggressive, you know, um, and it it really shut the whole thing down. Everyone just backed away. Absolutely. Right, and this is this is during the terrible retreat across New Jersey in the the uh, fall of 1776. Uh, you know he's at his absolute lowest point. Um, uh, Trenton is to come in just a month's time, but at this point, you know he's at his lowest, and it's it's correspondence for Joseph Reed, his his adjutant general, uh, the person upon whom he depends the most, the the closest person in his military family. Reed is out, away from headquarters, so Washington opens it. And learns that Reed, unknown to him, has been in correspondence with Charles Lee, the second-ranking general in the American Army. 
and complaining about Washington for his indecisiveness and suggesting to Lee that come winter, uh, 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 that Lee go south and organize a new army. You know, and so this is not good news. And uh, and for most people, it would be crushing news that would probably inspire a good amount of anger. Washington uh, doubtless felt that anger, but instead of outwardly expressing it, he does something. He's brilliant. He he reseals the letter, and uh, and sends it to Reed with an accompanying note saying, "Assuming uh, this came for you, assuming it was official business, I opened it as usual, realizing it was something else. My apologies." And he leaves Reed to twist <laughs> in the icy emptiness of his withheld wrath. And man, does he get the message! And this is just those are the political skills that uh, would really serve him and our country so well in the years to come. Yeah. And not only did Washington have this fiery temperament that wanted him to cause, you know, he wanted to attack all the time, but I guess throughout the book, this whole idea of valiant ambition is all these generals had it in spades. And there was yeah. this social pressure to, you know, to, to fight with honor and to show yourself a man. Um, and so I imagine that was a lot of the pressure that Washington felt too, but he had to say, you know, I'm not going to take part in that. I'm going to switch to this other strategy because it's for the good of the country. Right. And it, it killed him because, you know, many of his own officers were, would say, you know, what are you doing? You know, why isn't, you know, why isn't he going after them? Politicians who really had no clue as to what was going on militarily, but, you know, just wanted things to go as well as possible, criticized him. Uh, and, and so it was a very difficult position to take. And uh, and yet, ultimately, uh, after, you know, two years of learning it the hard way, um, he he committed to it, and and you know it, it's it's you know it's the ultimate um, you know it's it's so easy to 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 surrender to our our impulses in a fit of anger and pique, you know. Uh, but Washington learned, nope, I'm going to take the higher ground. I am going to keep the long view ahead of me, and uh, and we really owe the fact that we have a country uh, to Washington's strength of character in this regard. So the, the, the guy you juxtaposed Washington to uh, was Benedict Arnold. And this is a guy who seemed like who couldn't put a check on his, his temperament and his ambition. Yeah. Um, what's interesting in the book, though, like as you said, we had this idea that Benedict Arnold, he was born a traitor. Like he was born, like, he was predestined to go to Dante's seventh layer of hell. <laughs> right, um, exactly. But you highlight in great detail before before Arnold turned into a traitor, he was one of America's great Revolutionary War generals. Um, I think this is forgotten. So can you take us through some of Arnold's contributions to the American cause before he committed yeah. treason? I mean, it's, it's kind of right. It's kind of amazing. In the first years of the Revolution, there was no one better on the battlefield uh, than Arnold. I mean, it was he learns of Lexington and Concord, and uh, he's a, he's in New Haven, and he realizes that at the southern end of Lake Champlain is Fort Ticonderoga, a lightly held British fortress that contains all of these cannons that would be of huge help to the American cause. And it's also an important strategic point. And so he proposes to the officials in Boston that he take Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, By this time, others have heard about the idea 
and he ends up having to team up with Ethan Allen and the, the Green Mountain Boys, and they famously side-by-side side take Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, and then while Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys are getting drunk on the British liquor supply, Arnold commandeers a loyalist schooner, sails up the full 100-mile length of Lake Champlain, and attacks a, a small British force at St. John's in Canada, and takes what vessels they have, destroys what he can't take with him, and now America has command of Lake Champlain, an absolutely essential uh, quarter of water uh, uh, that you know we we need to command. And so he does that, and then he 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 then goes to Boston, uh, where now Washington is the commander of the American army. Washington's stuck in the siege of Boston, but he he sends Arnold on an impossible mission to try to take Quebec, and this requires him to go overland through. Maine. I follow, I've actually followed Arnold's trail uh, through the backwoods of Maine. There's still nothing up there to this day. Uh, you know, if there's a, there's a, a signpost, it's, it has Arnold's name on it because he was apparently the last person to go through there. But you know, he loses a third of his soldiers um, to desertion and death. Staggers out of the the, the wilderness and is there at Quebec. Uh, he's heralded as the American Hannibal. He's ultimately unsuccessful in taking. Uh, Quebec, no fault of his own. Uh, he's grievously injured, but he pulls himself together. And then uh, in the, the fall of 76, he fights the Battle of Valcour Island, the greatest naval battle that no one's ever heard of, uh, fought on Lake Champlain. And Washington has lost New York by this time. Arnold, by preventing the British from taking Fort Ticonderoga, saves America. Because if they had taken that fort and linked up with Howe and New York, it would have all been over. And and so then he, that he, that leads a year later to the Battle of Saratoga, the great victory in which uh, the French are convinced to come into the war on our side. And and it was Arnold's soldiers that that were responsible for it. And so there's really no one, uh, as short of Washington, who's doing more than Arnold to, to do all this. And, uh, and as you said, you know, he was passionate. He couldn't control himself the way Washington could, uh, when he was off the battlefield. But man, our country owed him a lot in the first years of the revolution. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, 
to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. But I guess we're the seeds of uh, Arnold's, you know, treasonous, uh, you know, his treasonous decision was he had these great victories, but it seemed like he perceived that he wasn't getting the the due respect that he thought he deserved from yeah. other generals and also from the Continental Congress. So, I mean, what were some of these slights that Arnold experienced from yeah. these generals that, you know, kind of sowed the, the, his treason? Yeah, there, there are really two events that, that had a lot to do with it. The first was after uh, stopping the British from taking uh, Fort Ticonderoga at the Battle of Valcour, uh, he was up for, for promotion. Uh, he was our highest-ranking brigadier general with the best record. But the, the Continental Congress that reserved the right to pick major generals uh, determined that each state should get two of them. And since Arnold's home state of Connecticut already had two, he would be overlooked, and five uh, generals who ranked below him would be elevated past him to major general. And, you know, this 
angered him. It would have angered anyone, and it greatly upset Washington, who uh, uh, who who uh, realized that Arnold was his best battlefield general at this time. And so this began his his questioning, you know, why am I doing this? He had also uh, given a lot of his personal fortune to the cause in those first years in Canada, and the Continental Congress showed no interest in in compensating him. Uh, but it would really be at the Battle of Saratoga uh, in October of, of 1777, where Arnold would suffer the experience that would really start his spiral uh, uh, in, down into, into treason. Uh, he was his commanding officer was Horatio Gates, who was concerned that Arnold, with his reputation for aggressiveness and success on the battlefield, was a threat to stealing the glory from him. Uh, and, uh, and what he did, Gates did, was instigate a, a uh, blow up with Arnold. There were two battles to the Battle of Saratoga. In the first, the Battle of Freeman's Farm, it would be Arnold's soldiers that delivered a devastating blow to the British and sent them reeling. And in his official account of the battle, Gates chose not to mention Arnold. And Gates uh, knew Arnold very, very well, had been with him on Lake Champlain the previous year, and knew just what buttons to push uh, when it came to a guy of such a, a passionate nature. And so they have this violent argument, and Arnold is out of the Northern Army. Uh, this, however, does not prevent him from appearing on the battlefield in the final climactic battle of Bemis Heights. And it's Arnold, uh, at the very end, leads this amazing charge uh, uh, to the entrance, rear entrance of a British redoubt, takes, uh, enters on his horse, waving his sword, commands him to sur- surrender, and he uh, is shot with a, a musket ball fired by a German soldier that fractures his left thigh, kills his horse, which collapses on top of his injured leg. And he's just lying there, and uh, one of his young uh, officers uh, from New Hampshire, who'd been with him since Quebec, comes up to him and says, are you badly hurt? And he says, in the left leg, I wish the musket ball had gone through my heart. You know, he knew that uh, here, his, you know, his left leg was going to be uh, in very bad shape. Uh, he's, he was going to be in a hospital bed for months ahead, and Gates was going to be the hero of Saratoga. And so it really, you know, why am I doing this? You know, he, he, he would eventually uh, spend that winter in a hospital bed in Albany, the leg that would emerge from the fracture box that they uh, attached to it uh, would be two inches shorter. It would be more than a year before he could walk unassisted. And he began to wonder, you know, why am I doing this? Um, Continental Congress doesn't give me the respect I deserve. Uh, By that time, they'd give him his promotion, but it was too little, too late. Gates had, you know, messed with his head, and, and he had suffered this terrible, debilitating physical injury. And it was uh, as much a psychic wound as it was a physical injury, and 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 so he began to wonder what you know why am I doing this? And, and this began his 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 gradual creep uh, towards uh, treason. And I think the other thing you you really do your job of highlighting in the book is that underneath this these slights that Arnold was experiencing that contributed to his you know deci- decision to become a traitor was that this, during this time of the war, like as you said earlier. Um, the America, the America, the colonies were like were fighting each other basically, uh, and they were like yep. their their own worst enemies. Um, so how did that that acrimony that existed between the colonies also contribute to his um, decision to commit treason? 
Yeah, because, you know, there was, you know, a war against Great Britain, but there was also a civil war going on. And the American people were showing much more interest in fighting each other uh, than the British. And as Arnold's becoming increasingly bitter about his own treatment, he's watching his country falling apart. Um, the Continental Congress does not have the power to tax the American people directly, so Washington's army doesn't have the funds it needs to fight. Uh, the, the, um, and by the fall of 1780, um, it really looks like if somehow Washington can win this war, will there be a country left to claim victory? I mean, you know, we, we, we now look back and see this as, as God ordained, but in the middle of it, it looked like the American people had really turned their backs on the vow they had made to one another with the Declaration of Independence. And so from Arnold's point of view, um, he began to think, well, since the Continental Congress is no one to trust uh, for, when it comes to the welfare of this country, uh, it's time to bring the British back. Uh, we've defaulted on the pledge we made to ourselves. Let's bring the British back to restore the freedoms we enjoyed before this uh, misbegotten revolution. And so from his standpoint, his what he uh, what the others would regard as an act of treason, an attempt to uh, to sell West Point to the British, uh, he saw it as an act of patriotism. Uh, you know, that it was up to someone like him to restore the government uh, that had uh, uh, that had been, you know, fallen, and uh, because the American people had proven incapable of governing themselves. So, at what point did Arnold decide to betray his country? And I thought this was interesting too. What role did his wife play in his betrayal? Yeah. Well, you know, Arnold, uh, you know, spouses. <laughs> have a big influence on how people think, and Arnold, uh, you know, had, had was was the the, the hero of Saratoga. Um, they had been forced to evacuate with the entrance of France after the Battle of Saratoga. They needed to consolidate their forces in New York, and so Arnold became the commander of this war torn city where there was literally fighting in the streets uh, between uh, patriots and and uh, more conservative loyalist leading citizens and um, and Arnold being the controversial person he was was soon surrounded in controversy he was really unhappy with what was going on in the country and and personally but he had fallen in love uh, a a girl literally half his age 18 year old Peggy Shippen he was 36 a widower with three young sons and they fell in love and uh, her father uh, her family was well-to-do Philadelphians who had had royal connections prior to the revolution. During the British occupation, she and her sisters had enjoyed socializing with the British officers, one of whom, Major John Andre, uh, had done a sketch of her that um, just shows how beautiful a woman she really was. And uh, within a month of uh, their marriage, um, uh, Arnold uh, would uh, send his first feelers to the British, who are now in New York, uh, and uh, that that feeler would go to none other than Major John Andre, the officer whom Peggy had befriended and who would become the British spy chief. And, and over the next year and a half, uh, they would negotiate back and forth with Arnold uh, wangling command of West Point, the most important fortress in America, and scheming to turn that over to the British. And um, so he he made that decision he to, to to give over West Point. 
it failed. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess we, I, we won't go into this because um, we're almost out of time, but like how it failed was, it just seemed like it was like pure chance and pure luck that this, uh, Absolutely. You know, well, the thing about Arnold, um, you know, he was a good battlefield general and he was pretty darn good, uh, as a scheming, uh, 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 traitor. Uh, you know, he, he had been in negotiations for more than a year and yet the very extensive spy network that Washington and others had put together had no notion, no clue of what Arnold was trying to do. And, um, and he and Andre meet at night on the banks of the Hudson River, uh, exchange the documents that are crucial to the, the, the taking of West Point. It's all about to happen. Uh, Andre needs to get back to British-occupied New York to make, to make it happen, but he's captured by three militiamen. And it's only that that uh, foiled what might have been uh, the plot that uh, ended that made Great Britain victorious. Yeah, but then what I thought was interesting in the book is that you you argue that Arnold committing treason was probably the best thing that could have happened yeah. to the Americans. Why was his you know his treason such a boon to the revolutionary cause? Well, you know, by the fall of seventeen eighty. The American war effort had cratered. It seemed like the American people had just given up. Uh, you know, no, they weren't willing. They had, hadn't been willing to pay taxes to the British. Now they weren't willing to pay the taxes required to fund the army needed to win them independence. And um, it just and they were fracturing into thirteen independent polities. You know, instead of functioning as a country. But it was the revelation of Arnold's betrayal. He, you know, this great uh, hero who had uh, tried to turn over West Point to the British, this was uh, had a galvanizing effect. Uh, Arnold would be burned in effigy in towns up and down the eastern seaboard. This was a true wake-up call. And um, I don't think it's an accident that within a year's time, uh, uh, America would enjoy the incredible victory at Yorktown, uh, that would make uh, the victory of war and independence and the war of independence inevitable. And and it's interesting. Arnold uh, uh, would become a British brigadier general and be sent down to Virginia. And Washington was by this time very angry with Arnold and making a real personal cause to get him. Sent Lafayette, the, the French general upon whom had become a virtual son to him, down to get him. And this begins the movement of troops that would ultimately culminate in the great victory at Yorktown. So I think ultimately you could argue that in the early years of the revolution, Arnold did more than anyone short of Washington for America, but it was as a traitor uh, that he really uh, made possible ultimate victory. My guest today was Nathaniel Philbrick. He's the author of the book, Valiant Ambition. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also, if you want to delve deeper into this topic, check out our show notes at aom.is slash ambition. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.